welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast, where Matt talks in a deep voice for no reason. What is happening to my throat? Um, hi, guys. <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyway, I'm Matt. This is Joe laughing at me. This is the podcast. We talk about Blizzard and its games. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing pretty okay. How about you? Not pretty okay, but, you know, whatever. We, we, we do our best. Um, we do our best. That's all we can do. We, we just talked a lot about D&D in the pre-show. I know you're surprised. Uh, we are going to try and move in and actually talk about, you know, Blizzard stuff. I actually had a, a fair amount of Diablo 4 and Diablo 3 stuff this week to talk about, so that's cool. Yeah, it seemed um, uh, seemed like a very much like they wanted to give you a gift this week. Yeah, it was nice of them. Uh, first up is the Diablo 4 uh, quarterly update came out, like, literally today. They posted it today. Uh, some of it is... To be fair, the game is not coming out anytime soon, so the fact that some of it's kind of vague is to be expected. But some of it was pretty in-depth. One of the things they posted was a really interesting picture of what they're currently looking at doing for the skill system. They call it the skill tree. And it's the art of it is actually a tree. It's a straight-up, there's a big picture of a tree. It's very Path Uh, of Exile looking. Yeah, I'm not not tremendously surprised. you you got to give it credit where credit's due. Yep, not uh, surprised. But what's, but what's interesting about it? There's two things that I found interesting about it. The first thing is that they've said up front, you can't get all of this. Mm-hmm. The most you can do is like thirty to forty percent of this tree. You are gonna have to make choices, and those choices are gonna define your build. So it feels, it's not. Hmm? I was gonna say it feels very almost like old school Diablo too. Uh, to a degree, it's way more complex than old school. Oh, very, much more, much more complex. But the whole you have to make a choice, otherwise you, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm I'm kind of hoping they prune this down a little bit. To be completely honest, that it's not quite this massive when it goes live, just because this is a lot. Uh, but at the same time, it's it, they're iterating on it. They're working on it. There's the root systems stuff at the at the base of it that's really fascinating to me to see how that's going to work out. Um. But you basically have, you start off with the skills at the top of the tree that you buy while you're leveling. And you use the points you gather while you level to buy those. Those then unlock other options. As you buy one, you'll unlock an option further down the tree, which is Mm -hmm. like a passive thing. And that's the the lower passive section is the root system. That's where all the passive stuff is. Uh, So there's, there's a lot to it. It's really interesting. Like I said, I kind of think it could be pruned down a little bit. Like, they, they've got some stuff in here. And that happened in Diablo 2. I'm going to be up front here. The root of the problem with talents in World of Warcraft for the first three or four expansions was its slavish devotion to the Diablo three to Diablo 2-esque system that they imported at the end. World of Warcraft did not have talents till the end yeah. of its development cycle. And if you want to know who to blame on that, for, for creating talents, who's the person who's responsible for them, so you can thank that person or hate them? Uh, it's J. Allen Brack. Yep. He's the guy, he was, that was his job. He's the guy that they, they told him, uh, we want to have talents, bring them in. So he had to sit down and come up with talents for everybody. And he had other people working on them. Obviously, it wasn't just him. But I, I do find that fascinating. Uh, it's one of those things that I always think, that in terms of how this system is going to work, it's still early to say how it's going to work, but they, they put up some good pictures. For instance, the charged bolt ability, which you know releases six bolts of lightning that course around in an erratic pattern, dealing uh, 18 to 22 damage each, and of course it deals lightning damage. Then there's another one you get later called ball lightning, uh, and then one of the things is they have an upgrade node, which is not a ta- not a skill per se. It's just one that upgrades things. They have charged bolts, which creates an additional bolt, 
there's there's that's a lot of stuff. There's there's a lot of interesting things to look at how it works and how it's going to play out. Um, that was pretty cool. I'm I'm interested to see that they've got that they've gotten pretty far along on it actually. To be completely fair, yeah. Uh, I mean, they also I was going to say that the 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 way that you've seen like with the art assets and and everything all so far, like and the thought that's gone into it, they're further along than I thought they were at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's pretty interesting. Um, the other thing they had was the enchantment system, which is for sorcerers, the sorceress. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to play as a male sorcerer as well. I, I assume you will be able to, uh, they're just going to call it default, the sorceress. And that's cool. I'm fine with that. But if they, if they make it, you just play as a sorceress, that would be fine too. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care either way. But what's interesting is they, they've decided that the, they liked the way the barbarians arsenal system works and they should, I played it in the demo. It's great. Uh, the way the Barbarian's Arsenal system works is Barbarians have a suite of weapons they have equipped. They have a, a, a large two-handed mace type. It's like effectively when I, when I was playing the demo, it's like a tree trunk you're carrying around. Uh, then there's a great sword, and then there's two like axes that, that my Barbarian had on her. And you different abilities use different weapons. So when you have this one ability that's like a big ground pounder, that's when you, you pull out the giant hammer and just start smashing things. But this ability like slices up a group of enemies. This one uses the, the greatsword. Now you have an ability that you, you focus on a guy and just chop him down. Now you switch to the two two-hand weapons, two one-hand weapons. I like that system. It's an interesting way to approach multiple weapon types. It's not the same as uh, Diablo 3's you know, great weapons. Where, like, they have the, the mighty weapons that are bigger. But it's a way to still have the uh, concept of you have bigger and smaller weapons that you use. It's an interesting system, and it played out pretty well. So they've decided they want every class to have something unique. But they don't want it to all just be the arsenal system, which makes sense. What, you know, that wouldn't make the, if you start giving everybody the arsenal system, then the arsenal system isn't cool anymore because everybody has it. So what do you do? Um, the thing they've got for the sorceress, which they have a pretty detailed write-up on, is called the enchantment system. D did you read it, Joe? I did a little bit. I was looking at it a little bit earlier. Um, it's interesting. It's deep enough with as many options that you could base an entire build around it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that is insane. The example they use, they, they use two skills, the examples for it. One is ball lightning and the other is meteor. I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about meteor and then leave it if Joe wants to talk more in depth, he can after I'm done. But basically, the example they use is the ability meteor. You could have meteor as an active skill. And that would mean that you can cast the spell meteor and drop a meteor on your foes. It would then go on cooldown and, you know, who knows when it'll go off next. You, you do. You'll have a cooldown. It'll go off when you next cast the spell. But you can make it. You can put it in the enchantment slot instead, and it turns into a passive, and then it basically becomes like a proc trinket. Yeah, it so, just randomly decides when it's going to pop down. Yeah, and it can cast multiple times, you know, without you casting it, and that means like you could be sitting there using whatever you're, you know, currently using as an attack, and your meteor can just fire off and start hitting things without you doing anything, without it costing you mana, because you know it's it's random. And that's fascinating to me. Yeah, it looks I, like... I was going to say, it looks like a really cool system, especially for some of the uh, the other things. Like, the meteor is cool, but one of the other things that they were pointing out is uh, crackling energy. Uh, so basically, it's ball lightning. It 
turns it into a passive uh, where ball lightning no longer collapses into crackling energy and instead uh, it turns into a ball of lightning. Uh, but then when you move near it, there's an ability to get mana back. So you can literally make a build that can sustain you while you're dealing damage and make sure that you just have an endless supply of mana because that's the limiting factor for sorcerers or sorceresses uh, where... You know, your mana is, when you run out of it, you can't do anything more. That's sort of like your thing. Well, you can now start working around that. I wish I had this in World of Warcraft, because my mana pod is a leaky sieve. But it's it's really interesting to see, yeah. I I love the idea of being able to convert an active into a passive and having it have a huge impact. It's a really neat concept. And it basically gives you the choice. Do I want to have active control of this or do I want to like let random chance decide when it's going to go off? Do I want to like convert it to a proc or do I feel like that, you know, would I rather, you know, be absolutely sure that I know when I can use it? That's there's an element of play to that that changes the sorceress around and makes her different from the other classes. I mean, at this point, they've only got three classes. Uh, the Barbarian, we know the, the Arsenal system, we know how that's going to work. We now have the Enchantment system, so we know how that's going to work for Sorcerers. We don't know what the Druids are going to have yet. I'm I'm really curious what the Druids are going to have, because that was my class in Diablo 2. Like, once the expansion came out and I was able to play as a Druid, like, I didn't play anything else. Like, that, I just played. Like, I had multiple Druids. I was just crazy with them. Yeah, I want to no one- know what they're going to give Druids. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping. One of the things I'm hoping for is that it it, it connects more to their shape shifting. Like yes. you could possibly like could you you could be a more shape shiftery druid that focuses more on forms, or you could be a more caster druid and you could make that decision based on certain abilities or what have you. I I don't know how, of course, because at this point they they're working on it. They've already exploring a druid specific class mechanic, and they'll have more information on that to share in the future. Which means they don't have information to share on it now. Uh, but it's still interesting, and I would definitely want to see it. I also, I'm really curious. Like, assuming we eventually get the announcement of the other two classes, uh, they they said back at BlizzCon 2019 that they're going to be five. Uh, we know about three. My, I am convinced there's going to be some form of paladin slash crusader yeah, slash would, templar. Something I would be along those lines. Very surprised if there wasn't. I'm calling that class the Zealot right now because I don't have a name for it because we don't know what it'll be. But some form of Holy Warrior, I'm positive they're going to have one. And I assume they're going to have something along the lines of the Rogue or the Amazon or the Demon Hunter. Uh, where they're I'm... going to have something that can be melee or ranged that can do those, that kind of role. That's my theory. Uh, I know a lot of people think they're going to have Necromancers or Witch Doctors. And I don't think those so. Those are both... I could see the Necromancer just because it's so popular, sure. but I don't think the Necromancer. I don't really feel like it's going to come in like with the start of the game. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think it's going to be I, my my working theory, and it could be completely wrong because I'm not nearly into Diablo as some folks looking at Rossi. Uh, but if you were going to have an expansion later or plan on expanding the game later, that seems like a prime class to me that you would look at doing as it's uh, part of a later story thing or later injection uh, into what's going on. Because 
if we're going the route or the story is going the route we think of, necromancers are probably going to be playing a part in it, not on the side of that we think they are, at least yeah. not yet. Um, with with what little we know about the story of Diablo Four, it does feel like the necromancers will be a lore element in it. So yeah, we know that they've said up front that Diablo is not appearing at the end of this game when you first get it. Because this is going to be a game that updates throughout. It's not... The goal here is to have a continuously upgrade, updating game. More more akin to the way World of Warcraft was when it first launched, where you kept having new patches come out and new stuff would come out with it. So you'd end up, like, when it first launched, Molten Core was the big end game thing. And then after, a, like, a while, then we got, you know, Blackwing Lair, and then after a while, we got AQ-40, and then after a while, we got And they were Xtronics. events. Like, they, they were events yeah. in and of their own thing, too. Like, it wasn't just, here's a here's yeah. a dungeon. Here's a big patch. It's got a bunch of stuff. That's kind of where they're going with Diablo 4, although it's 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 akin to a live service game. Well, I'm kind of hoping they dial back the live service elements of it, because a lot of people don't like live service, and myself included it, at times. If they and I, I'm not trying to like say you know Blizzard don't do your own thing or anything out there, but if they follow something similar to how Path of Exile has been going, Path of Exile has been doing that type of thing for a long time now, and it's still popular with those players because there is constant things, new seasons, new events, new story, new things occurring in it over long periods of time. If they were to do something like that, that would be fantastic. Uh, f- we're getting a question from sh- uh, chat, which, funnily enough, from Shad. Uh, Shad and Apali wants to know what live services are. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use an example from a game I like because it's easy for me. Um, a lot of games have the live service model, which is continuously providing stuff and costing you money to do it in some cases. Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey had a, had a live service model where they would continuously putting out new events like this week, pirates this week, go out and kill a whole bunch of people in the woods uh, this week. That's other thing. And then, in addition to that, there were like new quests that came in to the game and so forth. This week we have, you know, there's a mercenary you can go kill, that kind of thing. But there, in of itself, there's nothing wrong with the live service model. So, uh, but the live service model is like here's a game that that relied heavily on the live service model. Anthem was a very live servicey game. Uh, Destiny Two is a very live servicey game, although it's also a multiplayer game. Yeah. The, the- uh, you might also hear it referred to as games as a service. Um, the two are synonymous. Um, there are games that do that that you've heard of that you may not have realized fall into that category either. Um, like Call of Duty currently. I was going to say Guild Wars 2 is a yeah. really yeah. good example of, of, of content that uh, of a game that does that as a service where it does its content. The Lord of the Rings online was one of those games that did that as well. DC universe online. And these are all MMOs, but they all did the, you know, free to play and then pay for content, pay for this expansion, pay for this next quest line, uh, pay for this character class, things like that. Uh, so it's the monetization of the games as a service, as opposed to paying a flat sum or even a monthly subscription to have access to everything. And some games do it by selling you things that aren't actually gameplay. Like, for instance, uh, I would say that Assassin's Creed Odyssey, when they did it, didn't do it with their quests or story type stuff. You could just that stuff was just free, but they sold you everything 
like you know every mount every like, like cool mounts and cool armor and cool swords and weapons and cool ships you didn't need those things to play the game but there there's a ton of them and and to get them all in the game without paying for them is going to take you a lot of work yeah. To, so, or ga- some games sell XP and, and gold boosts, which again, Assassin's Creed Odyssey did, and, and, and that's that's live servicey right there. It's an- to answer more specifically a couple other questions we got in chat from Auto Luke and Deboots. Um, it's not a uh, how do they? It's like microtransactions, but at a different scale. So, like you can a microtransaction could be something in a game where you've paid. Uh, a flat fee of like 60 bucks and have full content to everything but then the stuff you buy tends to be cosmetic skins or whatever uh as opposed to content when you start talking about live services instead of being a microtransaction for meaningless things things that don't affect gameplay you're buying gameplay uh it's a protracted or means model. to progress or, in the game or a means to progress in the game a lot of games started selling things like you know if you and it, uh, some of this bleeds into like different editions of games. For instance, you know I want to buy this game, uh, but I want to get the like the steel edition. What's the steel edition? Why is that better? Well, because the steel edition has all this other stuff, but it also has an XP boost, um, that kind of thing. And it it, this, it gets muddy. There's a lot of like different games that have different like different bits and pieces from this, uh, but yeah. It's it's it, it can be pretty polarizing when you feel like I bought this game, but this other person spent more money to buy the game, and they're having a better experience because of X. Yeah, yeah, or they get to see this cool quest that I don't get to see, or what have you. Um, the Avengers game that came out fairly recently is there's a lot of debate as to how, well, you know, how live servicey it is, uh, quite frankly. Yeah, but, I think we can move on from that topic, though. Yeah, I think it's but, it's been explained. Point being, <laughs> point being, yeah, Diablo Four is going to be somewhat of a continuing, always on, somewhat, somewhat multiplayer, but not exactly an MMO. Uh, more of like an open world game where you can see other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of skirting the line. Kind of, it's more. It reminds me a bit of Red Dead Redemption Two, uh, the way their multiplayer works, uh, or you know, the the Grand Theft Auto multiplayers. It, it kind of has elements of that, but it's its own thing. And of course, we're talking about something we haven't seen yet. But speaking about talking about something we haven't seen yet, Diablo 3 Season 22 was announced on the PTR this week. Uh, the PTR going up October 1st, there's going to have a PTR for patch 2.6.10, which will be just new items and changes to classes. That te- that'll be tested for a week. The next week is going to be Season 22. Uh, the theme for it is, I think... I want to say Season of the Shadow, but I know the, the the actual theme itself is not... I don't think they've actually announced it. Shadows of the Past, right? Shadows of the Past, right. Okay. Uh, the way Shadows of the Past is going to work... Uh, do you want to talk about it? No, go ahead. Okay. Shadows of the Past is a weird buff. And the way it works is it's rooted in pylons and... and, and uh, shrines. In the shrines, if you know what those are in Diablo 3. They're basically cool little towers that you can click on and most of the time you get a buff. Like now you shoot lightning and you know, or, or now you, you, you get lucky or you have an XP buff or what have you. When you click on them now uh, with this buff active, you will get a shadow clone that will appear. And the shadow clone will basically have a, one of three basic builds for every class. So like if you're a barbarian and you click it, 
there's three possible builds that the barbarian that you summon can can have. And they're they're rooted in okay, this one's kind of a whirlwind build. This one's you know to use a barbarian's example, this one's a, a seismic slam build. This one's a, a something else. I think it's a like it's a, a an ancient's build, and hammer the ancient. Sorry, when you you get the the guy, he spawns. He lives. He's around for a minute. He runs around with you and he kills stuff while you're killing stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it's like very reliant on finding a shrine or a pylon, so. It's kind of a, it's it's gonna be. There are shrines and pylons everywhere. You will find them, but it's it's sort of an interesting thing to build an entire season around, which is why it, they didn't. Yeah, you're gonna sell, you know, so go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, DeBoots makes a good point. Your description of it sounds very close to Diablo II Assassin Mirror Image. It's not terribly different. No, in point of fact, it is kind of like that. But the difference being that, like you know, every class would get it, obviously, and right. it it's basically a random build for every class. Like the, this Crusader build is based around, you know, Wrath. But, you know, the, the interesting thing though is because it's based on pylons and because, you know, that would mean, for instance, it, for, for a certain rifts, knowing where the pylons are on that map would be very useful. But it's still based on, okay, that, do we, you know, am I near a pylon right now? Can I find a pylon in time? Are there pylons or, or shrines anywhere around here? In order to make it not be entirely like linked to that, they've put in a, different thing uh they're adding a fourth slot to kanai's cube this season hmm. and the fourth slot can be anything from any of the th other three slots so it can be uh armor piece uh jewelry piece or a weapon piece the only real limit is it can't stack so if you already have I, the example i used is if you already have the thunder fury you know does aoe electrical damage to everybody weapon power selected you can't add that again and get more AOE damage around. You'll just get, it just won't let you, but you could get Schaefer's hammer and now get two different lightning buffs that will have synergy to each other. Just in the cube, you wouldn't need to have either weapon equipped or you could have two jewelry powers. If you decide I like my brooch that makes me immune to arcane damage, but I also want to be immune to poison damage. You could do that. Or you could go with two armor powers. And that's that could have been a previous season all by itself. Like they've done Kanai's Cube seasons before. That the, the idea of a fourth Kanai's Cube slot just being open, that's interesting. So they're having both of those in one season. That's that's new that they've opened a season like that. The, the previous two seasons we've gotten an extra season benefit in the middle of the season. We didn't start with it. So it feels like until Diablo 4 comes out, Diablo 3 has finally decided we're going to make seasons have two things every season. Try to make them fun and engaging, get people to play them and fill that gap yeah. while people wait for Diablo 4. I'm, I'm fine I'm, with that. I'm, I'm more interested in the Kanai's Cube thing than I am in the Shrine thing. Not that the Shrine thing is bad. I'm interested in the Shadows of the Past buff. I'm interested in seeing how it works. But you can't plan for that. Like no. you, it's a random, it's a random choice what that clone has. It's not one you make. It doesn't have anything to do with your build. It just here are the three potential builds that it can have, and it can spawn one randomly. You can't do anything to influence that. There's no gameplay other than I click on a pylon. Whereas the Kanai's choice, the Kanai's cube choice, that's a choice. That's a decision you make. If you want to put in the frenzy weapon. That, that, you know, stacks Frenzy up to 10 instead of 5, and you want to use, like, you know, another weapon power with song alongside it, 
you can. You and it comes down to what choices you make. I find that that's a more interesting to me. So I'm I'm interested to see how this works. We won't get to test it until next week. Uh, this week we'll just be testing changes to legendary items and buffs to stuff like wizards and so forth, which to me is never all that interesting because uh, they're wizards and I only play barbarians <laughs> and occasionally a crusader. But if I were a wizard, I'd be really interested because they are trying to fix some problems wizards have been having. Uh, you guys should absolutely, if you're a wizard player in Diablo 3, you should be going to the PTR this week, uh, October 1st, and you should check it out because they're, they are trying to fix some stuff. Yeah. I got nothing. Uh, do you on. have anything to say? Yeah, I didn't think I got, I got nothing on the season. I've, I, I, I tried getting back into Diablo 3 and I exploded a whole bunch of corpses and I got my fix for now. Okay. Well, then we'll move on to the, the last thing we got here. Uh, I'm sorry, all the by the way, my nose is stuffing up right as we're doing this. I can feel it happening. So if I sound kind of weird, that's why. I apologize. Uh, but the next thing we're going to talk about is this to me, I don't think I wrote a post about this. I think people thought I was bagging on Wild WoW Classic, and I'm not. No. Uh, the, the thing that aren't. I found interesting here is that WoW Classic is getting a bug fix that that didn't happen in an original World of Warcraft. This bug did not get fixed until the Burning Crusade came out. The bug is with the improved weapon totems uh, talent, which Joe and I have both played Shaman, so we can tell you this was a pain. This bug wasn't good. Yep. No, it was this, bad. It was it was game breaking in a yeah, lot of cases. Was, this was a bad time. They should have fixed it in original WoW before waiting all the way till TBC. They fixed it as fast as they could at the time. Unfortunately, it didn't get fixed until the next expansion had come out. So I'm not upset that they fixed it, but I find it fascinating that they fixed it. Yeah. And the it, reason I find it fascinating, and I'm going to let Joe talk because I know he's got a lot to say here. The reason I find it fascinating is because, in a way, this has done what I've always kind of wanted WoW Classic to do, and it's moved it from trying to be a seamless reproduction of, War of World of Warcraft mm -hmm. in its original games to being a parallel development track. Yeah, yeah, th th that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like this is this is what I've been waiting for is for something like this to start actually happening. And I've said this from the very beginning. I don't hate WoW Classic, but I don't like the idea of it trying to be a one-to-one -one recreation of you know vanilla of being that because it can never. I'm a firm believer of you can never go home again when it comes to some of these things. This is one of them, and you I can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm fine with it. Like if they were if they were to sit there, I'd actually have more problem if they were to sit there and say, we could fix this bug, but it wasn't fixed until 2.1. So we're not going to bother fixing it now. Like why? May still make it enjoyable for the players that are enjoying classic. Fix that bug that we struggle with. I'm not mad. I'm not going to be one of those people that says, well, I struggle with it. I walked uphill, you know, 50 miles both ways in the six inches of snow. You know, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to look at it and say, I'm happy that they don't have to go through that same pain that I did. Good See, for I, them. When this game first came out, I was of a different opinion, but I have since changed my opinion, and here's why. When they made the changes to Alterac Valley, to make it enjoyable for people who were experiencing like a not fun game, not because of any mechanical changes to Alterac Valley, because Alterac Valley was playing exactly as it played back then, but the people playing Alterac Valley live in the year 2019 to 2020. Mm -hmm. 
they have the internet, they know more about how the game works, and they could play, they could game it in ways that are not were not gameable back then. People didn't have big Discord servers where they could get put together their group and, and just swarm Ultrag Valley and coordinate and destroy the other group. They they were thing times were different. We we're playing this game now. We're playing WoW Classic now. We're not playing it in 2004 to 2006. We're not... For one thing, Alterac Valley wasn't even in WoW when it launched. They they came in in, like, 2005. So every, every, every time, every step of the way, WoW Classic has had to make decisions about what to bring, what to reproduce, what to give you. The fact that WoW Classic is built on patch 1.12 means you're never going to experience... And- some of the stuff that people experience playing classic and, wow and that's that's fine and one of the other things too and and deboots is mentioning in the chat that doesn't this open up a pandora's box of people being able to sort of needle the the developers and get them to make other changes i don't think so because this is one of those this is a rare thing right so the reason that this bug in particular was such a pain point for people like you know me and matt is it was perfectly fixable in 112 they just didn't because they had other things that needed to be prioritized content yeah, the, fix, and, uh, the, the fix that came in 2.1 wasn't anything to related they didn't only fix it then because they changed the game in such a way that they could fix it no they, they just fixed were it able then to get they to got it. around to it yeah yeah and that's they admit it that's that's what they said in the post about it they're fixing it now because they know how to fix it it's just that at the time it was on a list of things that needed to be fixed and it wasn't the top priority yeah and here's my thing about this. Wow Classic, it, it exists to allow people to, to go back and play content that they can't play anymore in-game. If you could go and play original Wow content in current World of Warcraft, I would have no use for Wow Classic, and I would feel negatively about it. But as long as class as current World of Warcraft, the retail version, does not let you go back and see the, the game world as it existed, yeah. then WoW Classic provides a service. But pretending that WoW Classic is a reproduction of the way World of Warcraft was doesn't serve the player base of WoW Classic. Because they're playing the game as their game. Yeah. It's the game they're playing right now. Why should they have to play a broken game just because that's how it was? Yeah, and, and, and if they continue with this and look at things that they can fix that weren't, like, massive things, like, or, or things in this vein, I don't think it's opening Pandora's box. I think it's just being a good game dev. You're, you're making sure the game that people are playing, that people are enjoying is running smoothly and if you're fixing the things that can be fixed because you can fix them and not sitting there saying you know i'm not going to because that's the way it was this is the way it should be right like that and that's fine that give players someplace they can have fun there's a big difference between adding new things to a game and fixing a bug um, I think that the closest we've gotten to actually new things being added to WoW Classic is the Alterac Valley changes. Yeah, which was and necessary. They, they needed to happen. I mean, yeah. Alterac Valley was not playable. No. And now, do I, here's the thing also. People don't understand this. I play WoW Classic because, yes, I like to grouse about things because I'm an old curmudgeon, but I also <laughs> played 
World of Warcraft from 2004 on. You think I didn't like World of Warcraft? I played it. I raided all that stuff. I was in Nax 40 when it was new. Yep. You know, you don't raid Nax 40 when it's new. Like the the day it comes out, you're not raiding in that raid back in 2006. I think it was 2006. It might have been 2005 when it came out. We, we used to have to take those nights off because those things, yeah. like you couldn't. You yeah. couldn't on new raid nights. I was I was the guy who like I I was the guy who people I gave people my phone number so they could call me and have me log on I, because our server was going after the Dragons of Nightmare and the Horde Guild might get it if we didn't get it at like five a.m. Like I, I I liked World of Warcraft. I still like it. I'm having a lot of fun playing a Tauren in WoW Classic. I am having a lot of fun playing an incredibly ugly human in WoW Classic. I just don't talk about it much because I'm not raiding. I'm not doing what I did back then. I'm just playing to go look at the world. The world is... I love that world. And it's gone. But now it's back. Yeah, I, can I can go look... You know, I can go look at the way Thousand Needles used to be. I can go, I I can go talk to the Fearbulk that are hanging out in front of the Grey Main Wall. Exactly. The Grey Main Wall. You can go look at it. It's really different. There, there's... I think that as long as WoW Classic exists, it has to exist as an actual game being played by people. Agreed. You have to treat it like a game being played by people. And that means fixing bugs. It also means that the idea of it as a museum piece has to go away. I, I it's agree. It's not. It's not a museum piece. Yeah, it, 100% that. And like, regardless of how you feel about it, everybody's going to have their own opinion about it. But I think I my personal opinion is that that's the right way to go about it because – if they wanted to have a museum piece for it, they could, and it should be treated like a museum piece. WoW Classic is not a museum piece. It's a game. It's a live game that people are playing and enjoying and participating in. So Some people, yeah, some people have raid guilds yeah. that are working hard on progression in WoW Classic right now. Yeah. Now, granted, the difference is, is that when new content comes out, it's gone in like a day. Versus, you know, the months it took for most people to clear, you know, I mean, yeah, we're in a different world and that has to be understood and respected that WoW Classic exists in a world where WoW existed for the past 16 years. Um, it's kind of like when you watch a superhero movie and they never seem to reference superheroes. Yeah. But they're set in a world where superheroes have existed since the 30s. Yep. Just occasionally, I want somebody to like, you know, Superman to be like, oh, but they're not, you know, they've been comic books for a long time. I should, you shouldn't have problems with all these concepts. But yeah, that's unrelated. I think at this point we should move on to some questions and emails. I uh, think so too. Do you want to do okay, the uh, your spoiler yeah. thing or not spoiler thing, but your spiel. yeah spoilers? There's going to be some emails. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say spiel, and I just no. went, to, went to spoilers because lore watch happened. No, I know. <laughs> Uh, in fact, you'll you'll be happy. There's some good lore watch questions that were actually said to be for either podcast in in Discord that I, I saw, left. I, I left. Saw, thank you. But uh, for you guys, uh, if you have a question for this podcast, you can go go about getting them to us in one of three ways. First is emails. You can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzard watch, uh, so we know it's for this show. Or you can say for either show, and then usually I'll steal it like a mad mad goblin. But uh, this week I was nice. Um, or you can go to Discord. Uh, we have two Discord channels, uh, and there's questions in here from both of those. We, we took from both this week. There's just a straight-up uh, patron Q and podcast questions channel. 
where we look first because patrons pay the bills around here, guys. We like to give them the things we tell them we'll give them, like the early access to the Q and podcasts. Uh, but there's also just a straight up Q questions channel, which is for anybody. And we did take some questions from that too, because it was a good question and I liked it. Uh, but now Joe's going to read them for us. So if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Hey, dudes who talk about Blizzard stuff. So what's the order of Diablo games? Like, is it D to D2 to D3 to D Immortal to D4? Or is it D to D2 to D Immortal to D3 to D4? Or is it Immortal the last game because it abandons the numbers? Thanks, Bob. Uh, the second one? Yeah. D1 to D2, uh, D Immortal, then D3 to D4, right? Yeah, it's Diablo, then Diablo 2, then Diablo Immortal, then Diablo 3, then Diablo 4. That's that's the chronological order of them. Obviously, at this point, it's anyone's guess which game comes out next. Uh, I think <laughs> Diablo Immortal is likely to beat Diablo 4 out, but I'm not going to say that for sure until it happens. But yeah, it's... it's uh, Diablo and D2, then uh, Diablo Immortal is between D2 and D3. It's literally a bridge between them. It's, it's ex It exists to explain how you got from D2 to D3. Uh, then D3, then D4. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty cut and dry. So hopefully that answers your question there, Bob. All right, our next one. Greetings, Rage, Mita Rossi, and Totem Placer Perez. I like that. I might put that on a t-shirt. Uh, name, Boba Fett. With two T's. Uh, Kirantor Bounty Hunter from uh, Lothar and Patreon supporter. I have submitted questions to, for both podcasts to prevent infighting. Hopefully they're of equal quality. I understand you will answer them or not in a manner you see fit. How dare you suggest crafting go away? If you don't miss Band-Aids, try a few hours in Classic. But I think I have a suggestion you will enjoy. Have crafting focus on creating transmog appearances. This removes crafting from the eye-level race for questing raiding mythic dungeons, which it always seems to lag behind anyway. The appearances generated could be random, so rare chase transmogs would promote repeat crafting. Uh, using expansion-specific materials would create appearances from that expansion, and these items could be sold on the auction house. And best of all, Rossi could completely ignore it with no penalty. What do you think? No penalty. No penalty. I, I can avoid a transmog system with no penalty. <laughs> do you know me at all? I but, think well, I, I mean, think I think you turn into I think you would actually turn into Gollum at that point. I think yeah, there seriously would be some injuries. Um, I think I'm, I'm ultimately. I remember Ann and I talking about this. I remember you and I talking about this. We've we have all suggested they do something with transmog for crafting for a long time, yeah. and I certainly don't hate this idea. Um, by the way, I completed the triage quest like thirty times. I am an expert on bandages and and classic or original or what have you. But that being said, I, I don't hate this idea, but I, it's like everything else. I, it, you're sitting there basically saying, well, how if they did this cool thing to make crafting worth doing? And it's like, yeah, what if <laughs> yeah. they haven't, they haven't done so yet. Um, at some point, Crafting keeps being put on this system of, you know, it's a it's a parallel gearing track, but it never actually works as a parallel gearing track. It, during the early parts of an expansion, maybe, maybe it works, but it doesn't really feel like it does. It feels like people just jump into dungeons, then heroic dungeons, then mythic dungeons or raiding, and that's it. And crafting doesn't keep up. If crafting could keep up with raiding in some fashion, then that would work. Well, now, now there's a... a, a possibility for it, at least in some particular cases 
in the Shadowlands. Stuff. Well, yeah. legendaries, the fact that you can buy sockets for items now, so like that's going to be a thing. Um, the fact that you need professions for those legendary items, it, it's it's going to be more relevant in Shadowlands than it's ever than it's been in a long time. But I don't hate this idea. It's and like Matt said, it's something we've talked about before. I like the idea of working something like transmog, some form of incentive into uh, the crafting professions that isn't just purely gear gear based. Um, and like Matt said, absolutely correct in that. Yeah, maybe at the beginning it op- as, operates as a stopgap, um, and it will for a little bit in Shadowlands as well with like rings and necks uh, in particular. Because and trinkets, because those are things that are rarer to drop in dungeons and quests right now that may get adjusted when things go live. But after you start getting into heroics and after you start doing other content and daily quests and things like that, the importance of those stopgap items dies. Um, I, if they can find a way to balance it and make professions fun, but not like obsessive level I need to do this and then get no reward halfway through an expansion for it I'm for it but they need to spend some serious time with it and I think people have pointed out there's this feeling that they don't really like professions Uh, I don't think it's that I think it's that in order to solve the profession problem it's going to take a lot more time than people think especially for something as ingrained in the DNA of this game as professions are. If they didn't like professions, they wouldn't keep trying to fix them. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, guys, look what happened with first aid. They didn't see a way to make it useful, so they took it out. They're not afraid to take out stuff. They 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 didn't take out inscription, but they seriously altered it. They did. Like, yeah. You know, they'll take stuff out if they really think it doesn't work. The fact that crafting gets so much attention the fact that they keep trying to make it work is because they do have some kind of affection for it and i i get why there's been times when the crafting has been really great i i remember liking crafting quite a bit in 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 wrath of lich king even though it was kind of a down from its bc high day of the really cool weapons of which i have the, the one that i wanted the lionheart blade they still there was a lot of interesting stuff. There was weapons that were pretty good. They were good up until like the second tier of rating. You know, there was some nice stuff in crafting and wrath. I, I was actually pretty happy with it. Um and it isn't like they've really changed it. It just feels like the gearing game has kind of outpaced it. Yeah. It's not really crafting's fault. If anything, it's I think we might see crafting come back a bit just because gear won't be dropping as much and it won't be as as wide a spread of, of eye levels if that makes sense yeah I, I think with the the way the game has been changed with the squish and everything else that there's a, an opportunity now to sort of fix that uh, but there is a second part to this question as well from our, our good friend there Boba Fett uh, I just want to make sure we get to it real quick uh, what happens to gold in Shadowlands is the cost of things altered at all for example if I pick warlords as my starting zone how am I supposed to get 5,000 gold by level 20 to fully upgrade my garrison do you think adjustments are being made to take this into account short answer yes um, the expansions will not feel like it has holes as you're playing through it the experience is supposed to be as I don't want to say as seamless, but as close to uh, par as you can get from, you know, your 10 to, to 50. 
and they're trying to tune it with that in mind. It may not be perfect. There may be things that they have to adjust later on, but for the most part, that's what they're shooting for. Yeah. I mean, it's basically everything is flattened down. So yeah, basically it's not going to cost you as much to, to do these things. Yeah. So, our next question, greetings watchers. I was playing through the Warrior Class Hall campaign and it made me wonder, how do the Hall of Valors fit into the Shadowlands? Is it its own plane like Bastion, Revendreth, etc., or does it exist outside the cycle as in souls who go there are not judged by the arbiter? Thanks for all you do, Elroy, Goblin Warrior on Magtheridon. Uh Okay, not- do you do you want to do this or you want me to do it? I mean, the short version is it's not really a plane of existence. It's a Titan facility that operates as a prison until we break them free, and then it becomes a giant Pokemon Center. I well, mean, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> there's the more facility, to it. Yes, uh, the Halls of Valor are part of Alduar originally. Yeah, they are. It is, however, a plane of existence. It's just an artificially created plane of existence. Yeah, Helia created it um, at, at Odin's behest originally, and then when she was freed from Odin's control by uh Lokar Loken, sorry. Uh she trapped them inside it. She she basically increased the barriers much as she did when she created the elemental planes alongside Raden. But the other reason it's not part of the Shadowlands is because Odin is a jerk. <laughs> and remember yeah, yes. Odin made a deal uh with apparently Mwizala to trade away his eye for the ability to pull souls out of the Shadowlands. And he, he then learned how to create Valkyr, who are basically budget Kyrian. Mm-hmm. And he used his, his off-market Kyrian to go into the Shadowlands and grab souls and pull them out before they got a chance to go through the process. So it's kind of similar to like when you die in World of Warcraft and a spirit healer returns you to the land of the living. That's kind of what they're doing. They're they're picking off souls before they get to go through the arbiter process. Because remember, the Kyrian brings souls to the arbiter. That's what the Kyrian do. So he created his own Kyrian to snipe away at the souls that would otherwise be judged and, and placed in a in a, a realm of the of the Shadowlands. And that's what the halls of valor are. Those those various stormforged Vrykul you see are the souls of of, of Vrykul who died and before they could get judged. Odin has decided I'm judging them. They seem heroic to me. I'm sticking them in new bodies. That's the whole deal. If in terms of like stuff that's really bad, that's really bad. Like no one's ever really touched on the fact that Odin has effectively been subverting the natural order of things for millennia. Like if people are supposed to be returned to Azeroth, they're supposed to go to Ardenweald first. If people are supposed to be like, you know, serving a higher power they're supposed to go to bastion first he has just been deciding on his own that that's not good enough and he made a deal with somebody who was working for the jailer to do it yep so yeah odin's a jerk worst pokemon trainer my ever yeah he's ash he is he is 100 ash yeah ash is just <laughs> that's a whole other podcast uh our next one comes from zool uh, Z-U-E-L, not the mad pr- 
you know, weird person that wants to overthrow the Zandalari Empire. Or maybe he changed his name. I don't know. Here's a cue, though it's like two years late. What's with all the random chests covering Kul being named Small Treasure Chest, but the one scattered around Zandalar being named Treasure Chest? If they contain the same things, why do they have different names? Is it is this the obvious horde bias from the devs showing again? Yes. No, yes, it not. is. It's not. 100%. 100%. We don't have small chests in the horde. Uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> just a thing, guys. Yeah, it's just a thing. It's probably just an oversight. I don't really think it's a major deal. It's definitely not horde. <laughs> I, I think that was the whole joke, but I love it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with it. I'm... Yeah, I do like I the idea it. that they don't have small chests in the horde because you yeah. know, there are a bunch of beefy dudes in the horde. But you guys did just get the smallest of them all, so. <laughs> and as Molly points Volterra. out in chat, as Molly Volterra points out in chat, points out in chat, the horde has epic chests, obviously. And yes, they do, Molly. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> All right, our next one. Hey, Watchers, it's Lord Soth again, uh, and I'll get straight to the point. Who gets to kill Sylvanas Windrunner? Obviously, we don't know if or when she will die, but let's pretend for a moment that somewhere in Shadowlands she finally gets taken out. Who gets to do it? On one hand, it's nice when we as players get to do big epic moments. But on the other hand, Sylvanas hasn't directly, personally, come after us in the way she has some of the other leaders and notable figures in WoW. Here are my thoughts, if not us, on who who might or should get it. Tyrande, I feel this option is self-explanatory. Thrall, I still go back and watch uh, Reckoning about every week, and the look on Thrall's face as he carries Sarfang into Orgrimmar is a look that says to me, I'm coming for you, Sylvanas. Verisa, I feel like she has a greater claim than Alaria, given that Alaria has been kind of out of the loop for decades and is only just now coming back. Varisa, on the other hand, lived through her sister's death and undeath and has seen what Sylvanas has become. She might feel some kind of obligation to put her sister down, and I think this can be done in a way similar to Rossi's thing about how good people don't relish the kill. Varisa strikes me as the person who, if she did kill Sylvanas, it would at, uh, sorry, it would at this point be dispassionate and quick. Thanks for all you do. Uh, up front, that wasn't me. That was Terry Pratchett. Yeah, let's, let's not give me credit for things Terry Pratchett said. Terry Pratchett was a genius. I'm merely a guy who does a blog and a and a podcast. So that was Terry Pratchett. Um, I'm gonna let Joe go first because my reaction might be a little different than his. Um, yeah. So I mean, the 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 only thing I don't agree with in your opening premise is she didn't personally come after us. One of the key features in, Sh in in Shadowlands is the fact that you can make an elf with burn marks. Remind me again where we got those from? Oh, right, a home being burned down in a a war that we had that we didn't ha want to have anything to do with while we were trying to heal the Earth Mother. Uh, yeah, that's that's totally a thing that happened. So player characters have a personal stake in it, one way or another, whether you're a horror player or an alliance player and night elves more than anyone else on this on on Azeroth have yeah, a right. I'm going to say this, I'm going to say one thing about the horde and horde players and how they might feel. If you feel like someone put you in a position that make you complicit in a war crime, you might really want to hurt that person. Yep. That's the thing. I played I play horde almost as much as I play alliance. Everyone thinks I play alliance exclusively, but I love Torrent. And I had a really hard time 
when I played through that, that that quest line the first time. It's why I wish it was still in the game. I wish Horde players got to see it because you're a Horde character and everything I was doing up to a certain point felt like something the Horde players might do. And then I suddenly find myself watching her burn the tree down and I'm like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Hold up. I mean, I I wasn't super thrilled about a lot of the stuff we were doing, but I could justify it. I, it made sense. This... And that's her. She did that to you. because it. And she did that to everybody. She's the one who just snaps and screams to do it. Even Sorfang is taken aback. Even you know, Sorfang is like sitting there going, uh, what, what? And then it's, then it's done. Yeah. And it's, I, so I, I don't agree with that idea. I feel like players, Horde or Alliance, I feel like players I, have a, a stake in this. I, I, yeah, I think so. And, and of, of the NPCs, like if we're going to take player characters out of it, yeah, Tehran probably has the the most stake in anything that happened. But again, going back to what happened there, um, Thrall, yeah, I can get where you're saying on that one. But for the most part, if I'm going to pick a Horde side character, I think it's going to wind up being, and you're going to forgive me for, for probably saying this, Rokan. And the reason I'm going to say that is his friend died and was manipulated by this grand scheme that basically threatened to ruin the Horde for Sylvanas' own gain. Had that moment not happened, a lot of this would have either maybe not happened or at least had the possibility of not happening. Uh, so his friend died. Uh, his The person he looked up to died. And then all of this horribleness happened as a, as like sort of like the domino effect thereafter. I'd say Rokan has a pretty good stake in that as well. What about you? I don't want Sylvanas to die. I don't want her to die either. I think yeah, I think she's much better for the story if she's alive. But I'm I'm just trying to in the frame of the question if she is the, to die. I'm, in the frame of the question, the only person who's going to kill Sylvanas is Sylvanas. Yeah, because nobody else. Uh, Taronda is the only one I think is sufficient. Like there's a there's a there's an um an essay written by T. S. Eliot called Hamlet and His Problems. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and in it, yeah, I'm the guy who does this. I I take you know essays you know about Shakespearean plays and I compare them to World of Warcraft because they're both stories. Anyway, in that essay, one of the things Eliot said was that Hamlet's biggest problem was that he didn't feel like anybody he was facing was worthy of him. That that his uncle, like he had, he, he could have just killed his uncle, but his own sense of his self worth meant that he couldn't do it in a way that felt unworthy that that would have possibly led to his uncle escaping eternal damnation. Yeah. And now if you know anything about Christian theology, especially the, the, the argument of, of the Shreve, it's, you can't go in and simply pray and be forgiven. You, you can't just say, I'm sorry and be forgiven. God requires you to actually repent and repentance requires you to not be profiting from the thing you did. You can't go and murder somebody and then be shrieved of it and go on holding on to the kingdom you stole from him. You know, the, the, the things you got for the murder, you can't just keep them. That's, that's not the case, especially not like eighth century Christian theology that was very heavily Catholic. That's not how it works. So, Hamlet should have known that, but Hamlet didn't want to kill Claudius because he didn't feel Claudius was worthy of him. 
Claudius wasn't a good enough villain. He he was Hamlet needed a Hamlet to fight. Hamlet's biggest enemy was Hamlet. That's how Sylvanas is to me. Sylvanas's biggest enemy isn't Tyrande, it isn't the Horde, it isn't anybody but Sylvanas. It's not even Arthas at this point. It's Sylvanas. Sylvanas is Sylvanas's greatest enemy. And so I feel like Sylvanas will be the one that that yeah. destroys herself. Yeah, and I could I could also see like even getting to a point where even at the end of it, even if she's caught out, all of her plans fail and she has got no other place to go, I could see one last defiant like act on her part to deny like Tyrande in particular deny her the ability to strike her down by striking herself down first. Anything like, to, to basically prove her point about hopelessness. Yep. Stealing that from Toronto would be the worst injury she yep. could possibly do to her. And I could see that it's 100% in character. Yeah. So that's what I think is, I don't know what's going to happen with, with Sylvanas or Toronto or any of them. Uh, and I like the idea of Varisa wanting to do it, not because she hates her sister, but, but because she feels be like done. it has to be done. Yeah. And I actually, if you read the the comic, the uh, the Three Sisters comic, I believe Varisa still cares about Sylvanas. She, I would agree. I think even now she still cares about her. Illyria has turned on her, but I don't think Varisa has. Varisa would do it. I think your point about Varisa doing it because it needs to be done. I could see that. And I could see Varisa totally just wanting to do it. But at the same time, I could also see it would be very hard for Verisa. And that doesn't mean she wouldn't do it. But I do ultimately think that Sylvanas would engineer things so that it was her. It was her hand. Even if she didn't actually actively kill herself, she would set it up so that she was destroyed to deny other people that, that, that ability. To be her own conqueror, to, to, to exert at least that much control over her fate. Yeah, there, there's a. It reminds me of um, in the Dresden Files, which is one of my favorite book series uh, recently, uh, or has been for a while. But there's this moment where the main character makes a deal that he knows will eventually, or has the potential to turn him into a monster, and he wants to exert so much control over his fate that he arranges for his own murder, so that the deal can't be fulfilled in such a manner that he loses himself and that's just like that sort of defiance of uh reaping what you sow finding a way to not have to to cash that check uh and, and put the funds up that that's the type of like mentality that i see in sylvanas and absolutely like i could see her engineering an entire scenario where if she is to die it is going to be by her own hands at her own machinations so um, I think we have time for one more, uh, sure. and this is going to be from Dynamite. I think I have a solution to the concern re-weekly reward box. What if there was a row for number of world quests completed, or maybe callings, the new emissary, right? So my question for the uh, queue, would that mitigate the concerns re-weekly chest aired in the last podcast? I mean, it, I don't know if it would. It wouldn't entirely get rid of them, but it would be something. Uh, it would be nice. And, and keep in mind too, I like a lot of the way that the vault is going to work. The Great Vault is cool in that it doesn't. If you sit down, it doesn't make you sit down and grind and grind and grind because that will get you so much more loot. There's still only going to be one piece of loot, but you can get more options if you do more stuff. You do more world bosses you do more you know not world bosses. you do more raid bosses you mm -hmm. do more mythic pluses mm -hmm. you do more pvp you get an option and so having it be like where 
if you did a certain amount of, of like world quests or callings or whatever, you got, you know, you, you get something from the great vault. And if you do enough of them, you get more options. That would be nice. I don't know that it would completely fix everyone's problems with it, but it would be a step. It would be something. Yeah, it would be something. I, and that's one of the things I think this is, this is a really good point. And this is something that I think, um, I, I, I don't know if I accurately conveyed last week is that I want, the great vault system to expand. I don't want it to be just these three things. And that's the end of it. I want them to look at what players are doing in game and accommodate that world quests or emissaries. Those are definitely something they can do. Maybe there's something for pet battlers or collectors out there. Um, there's ways that they could integrate other aspects of the game into this to give players further options and then they could still do their caps. Like you can complete, you know, three of these things a week uh, to get the maximum benefit, and that's it. Because I also like the idea of having caps in place for things like this, so people don't over farm or go absolutely crazy with it. Uh, and it gives you one of the problems I have with WoW and reward systems in particular is that a lot of them are built off this concept of the more time you put into the game, the bigger your reward is. And some players have a hard time. Uh, disassociating the need to continue to get that bigger reward uh, with spending time in the game. There's there's no, there's no incentive to break that. There's no end point. There's no DMARC point. I like the idea of having DMARC points as long as they make sense. So if they could find a way to put more options that trigger the Great Vault rewards, but also still have a way that it stays uh, capped or encourages players not to over-farm, I think they can hit a point where people people will mostly be happy with it. Nobody will ever be 100% happy with it. Uh, raiders are going to complain about it, I'm sure, at some point. If people get better loot out of it than a raid or a heroic or whatever the case is, somebody's going to be salty at some point about it. That's just the cult, that is how we are. Can't please everybody all the time. But I think if they expand it out, they can at least make it more palpable for, for a lot of other people. So, Anything else to add to that one? No, I think you're fairly on point. I think that that's my thing about originally was that I, I, and we were talking about it last week and I don't feel I need to blabber it too much. I liked the bonus roll mechanic and you didn't. Yeah. Regardless, if the bonus roll mechanic is going to get taken out and it is, that's, that's a done deal. It would be nice if the great vault was more responsive to more player needs that's really all i'm saying we need if they're going to have a catch-up mechanic if we're going to have a bad luck protection mechanic it needs to be responsive to what players are actually doing in the game uh, yeah this is one possibility i think to a degree there needs to be something for people who don't run mythics but who run a lot of five-man dungeons it doesn't need to and that's the other thing is the great vault doesn't need to provide the same level of gear to everybody uh if you're running a bunch of just heroic dungeons it could provide an extra piece of heroic gear every week yeah, maybe there's a small chance that it would provide you with a, with a mythic piece, much like occasionally an epic can drop in a five-man heroic. Just randomly, it can drop. You know, just a little bit of that would be nice. Just something that l lets people feel like it isn't wrong that I play the game the way I want to play it. But ultimately, bonus rolls are gone in Shadowlands. There's no point. I can I can say I don't think this is a good move. That doesn't change the fact that they're gone. And at a certain point, you need to move on and look at the, the way things are going to actually be. Mm -hmm. The Great Vault is a good framework, and, it, and expanding it is a good idea. 
Yeah. And hopefully they will. We'll find out in the future. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, guys. Uh, again, if you have an email for the show or a question for the show, you can either email us at podcast.blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch, or you can go to our Discord server and hit up the Patreon Q&A podcast questions channel or the Q questions channel, uh, both of which we look at for questions. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, on behalf of Joe and myself, we'll be here next week. 